Ready for your new TV obsession? Thursday, January 26th on The CW, the network that gave you The Vampire Diaries and Gossip Girl is bringing you the awesomely dark and addictive new series, Riverdale. Based on Archie Comics, Riverdale puts a super edgy, twisted spin on the classic characters you know. Did you ever read Archie? Which character are you? Are you a good girl like Betty or are you more of a Veronica? Are you like Golden Boy Archie or are you a Miss? misunderstood loner like Jughead. That's where I really see myself as a misunderstood loner like Jughead. Which character are you secretly crushing on? Now, Riverdale may look like the perfect, safe, wholesome small town, but it's got huge secrets. It all starts off with a new year at Riverdale High and the mysterious murder of one of its most popular kids. Everyone becomes a suspect, and that's when the sordid details about what everyone really did over the summer and with whom begin to surface. You won't believe what what the people in this town are hiding. So do not miss the jaw-dropping series premiere of the must-see new show, Riverdale, Thursday, January 26th, only on The CW. Coming to you live from the boardroom, it's Rob has a podcast. And now here's the man with the smallest cabs in podcasting, Rob Sesternino. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Celebrity Apprentice Rahap up here. Week number three is in the books. And sad news to report as Kyle, the Real Housewife, and John Lovitz are gone. But here with us to talk about it first is the man who's been talking with me about Celebrity Apprentice uh, before it was cool. Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? Hi. To quote one of the uh, spokespeople for Kawasaki now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And also with us, uh, a woman who is now considering buying a Kawasaki motorcycle. Megan Z. Megan, how are you? I'm good. I'm just over here unfollowing David Charvet on Twitter. (laughs) The worst douche ever. He might be one of the worst people. I like, he seemed like a two dimensional TV character. Like, he came out of a scripted TNT drama. That's how completely in the past and chauvinistic he felt this episode. You are the worst, David Sharp. Like, he should be kicking sand in like a nerd's face on a beach somewhere in California with his leather jacket on. Here, let's. Don't waste this yet. We have a lot to talk about as we had the Kawasaki and Seize Candies Challenge, a Warren Buffett sighting, and much more, all that we're going to talk through. Uh, how you guys doing? Mike, doing good? Doing well. Doing well. I feel like if we're contextualizing this within the season of Celebrity Apprentice, I feel like the past couple of weeks we've said like, well, one task has been not so good. One task has been pretty to really good. I feel like this is the first week where things are really starting to, to use a motorcycle-like term, rev up. We're using those ergonomic handlebars, I guess. Uh, so no matter what your size... <laughs> ergo this, fit. The ergo yes. fit, yeah. So no matter what your size, the podcast is revving up. I feel like we got two great tasks. We finally got a fundraising task, and as a result, the entertainment came in. We'll talk about whether John Lovitz might have been gone too soon, but considering how uh, grumpy he's been in previous episodes, I feel like this was a fitting end to him. And Megan, as somebody who has uh, really paid close attention to the history of the Celebrity Apprentice, I do feel like the tribe swap is always a point where things begin to escalate. It is. It is. And uh, sometimes we get the swap uh, 
earlier in the game, like we've had times where Stephen Baldwin uh, wasn't able to work with anybody on his team, so they kicked him off. We've had times when Star Jones and Nini got in fights, so they kicked them off too. So it's always a point of uh, either continuing contentions or new contentions are ready to form. All right. So we've got a lot to talk about. Very excited about this. Of course, another show that's coming up I'm very excited about is Hunted. Megan, are you going to be watching Hunted after the AFC Championship game this Sunday? Absolutely. Those are both ready to go in my DVR. Ready to go, Mike. That if you had to disappear, you think you could do it? You think you can get away from bounty hunters for 28 days? Uh, physically, probably not. But from a, a pure, uh, pure stealth perspective, perhaps I am rather fair and slim, so I could probably fit in most corners that bounty hunters you want could to hide. In. Yeah, could, I could hide well. When it comes to running, uh, I might as well just fall in the middle of the street and and surrender myself right there. Let me ask you a question, Mike. If you and Megan were a hunted team and Megan was on a motorcycle would you ride on her back of the motorcycle to evade the bounty hunters i would sacrifice myself so far in the back i'd be dragging myself behind the bike i'm not putting myself in front of those handlebars anytime soon no matter how much of an ergo fit they may be (laughs) well hunted takes 18 ordinary people in teams of two makes them fugitives they're on the run from former professional hunters on the ground not hunter ellis Directed by a command center run by some of the best minds in law enforcement, not the specialists. Uh, former FBI, CIA, SWAT, U.S. Marshals, and White House intelligence professionals track social media, closed circuit TV, ATMs, any footprint the fugitives leave, digital or physical, they'll be tracked. And what the fugitives have to do is go on the run for 28 days, stay in the undetected zone of approximately 100,000 square miles with severely limited funds, just like John Lovitz. I think that's what it's really like. They send you around and you have to travel and you have only $500. Living on the Lovitz budget. That's really the appeal of Hunted. Yeah, I don't know if there's any candy involved, but it's up to them to avoid capture. And if they succeed, they win $250,000 and every team gets a chance to win $250,000, not just the team that places first. There's moms, there's married couples, there's best friends, ex-cons, a whole mix of people who want to match wits with the best in law enforcement. Hunted premieres Sunday, January 22nd after the AFC Championship game on CBS and look for the podcast on R-H-A-P as well. All right, so let's get into our two tasks tonight. Megan, motorcycle task, Kawasaki. Uh, We have not done anything with them before in the Celebrity Apprentice. So this was a a big name, a big brand to get involved with Celebrity Apprentice here. It was. We're used to hearing about a a different kind of chopper on this type of uh, Celebrity (laughs) Apprentice, but we're going to the motorcycles this time. Yeah, were you surprised when Arnold said get to the chopper? They didn't have Kyle like get on a Kawasaki motorcycle and drive (laughs) off now. (laughs) Yeah, well, this was a perfect task for me because I consider myself to be a bit of a motorcycle expert. I have seen all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy. Great. So if there was a the second task was all about drugs, you'd be all set then. That's right in your wheelhouse. (laughs) Probably more guns than drugs, Mike, just to be, uh, you know, to be safe. Um, but yeah, so I knew every, everything about it. Now, uh, the Sam Crow and the Sons uh, were not really heavily featured in this episode. So I was a little bit at a loss. But Megan, who is this new woman who's here who is also, I guess, named Gemma? Uh, yes. So her name is Gemma and she's the CEO of Moolah, which I believe is a, um, a financial company that you can do some investing with them. 
uh, but she also has a background in quantum physics. And additionally, she has an accent that makes her sound probably smarter as well. So that's good. Mike, Gemma Godfrey was the person they brought in. Would they have been better off with Gilbert Godfrey? I thought you were going to say Godfrey Manguiza. Um <laughs> Either one. Either one. Well, let's, I guess we can compare the two. I mean, Gilbert. Or Gemma Teller. Uh, so, yeah. all right. So, can we do a ding, Mary kill here of the possible three <laughs> spokespeople? Uh, I mean, I guess I would, I'd, I'd probably, I mean, Gemma. Gemma from Sons of Anarchy would probably be the best, right? Because she has direct experience with motorcycles. She would know. She would so be I'd, a good I guess judge, I'd marry yeah. her. Maybe I'd ding Godfrey Manguiza because he'd really be focused on a campaign <laughs> that focuses on getting blood on your hands while riding your Kawasaki. I feel like that's something he'd really love. And maybe ki- good looking guy. And then maybe kill Gilbert Godfrey because all we would want it would be to, <laughs> oh! would be to them give a give a pitch about how you know well, my mother had sex with this man on a motorcycle and that's how I was conceived. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about how inappropriate Gilbert Godfrey was. All right. So uh, we have a task where we have to take four pictures for an art exhibit. And we have our project managers. It is going to be Kyle for the women. And it's going to be Carson for the men. And it seems like that the women there, again, they've got a bunch of ideas that they're throwing around. Uh, Some of them are better than others. We will discuss. But really, we spend a lot of time in this task following the many different ideas that Carson and Boy George have, which starts with a tasteful nude. Uh, That's one of the things we get to a drag queen. Megan, were you thinking that these are going to be winning ideas? I mean, right off the bat, they said that they were the rebel brand. They were the disruptors. So you had no choice but to go push all your chips in and go all in. So I saw it and I thought, (laughs) you know what? This is at least going to be different. It's going to be something new. And this might be what Kawasaki's looking for. (laughs) Mike, is this what Kawasaki is looking for? I guess we're going to have to, you know, look at the numbers and see how much the (laughs) Kawasaki share has increased amongst drag queens after this, uh, this campaign has been shown on television. Well, Mike, uh, without being presumptive, I would say that you are the drag queen expert of the panel, considering that you hosted the RuPaul's Drag Race Rehap Up uh, this past summer. Are motorcycles a big part of drag culture? I mean, I wouldn't say so inherently, specifically with drag culture and the careers that they're based with unless they're doing evil Knievel like stunts at their drag shows. I don't think motorcycles are showing up anytime soon. That being said, uh, there are obviously people outside of their drag personas that might enjoy a motorcycle ride. So I don't think it's completely out of the picture. But in terms of uh, playing directly to drag queens in their careers, I would not say it's a, it's a complete compliment there. <laughs> okay, so we go to the photo shoot. And, you know, this idea of a tasteful nude starts off as haha, a joke. And then it becomes Carson saying that he should be the picture. And then we ultimately get Carson in his underwear on the motorcycle. Megan, are you still on board with this? His tidy whities little boy. He was out there to (laughs) show it. (laughs) Yes, but he hadn't had a chance to do any manscaping ahead of time. Uh, No, he had not. But that's all right. Uh, um, Boy George was going to tell him to. Tuck it in like a drag queen. So we were trying to clean things up that way. And I'm so yeah. I'm so glad that he saved that for the collage, even though we'll have the joke later on about Arnold saying that 
I guess his penis was big enough that he could have shown it on the main screen. I think that's what he was inferring. But like, you know, considering that even though that comment happened, could you imagine if one of the four photos selected to sell the brand of Kawasaki was a naked man with his genitals showing selling their motorcycle? That might have been a step too far. Yeah, the envelope would have been pushed probably a bit too far, although that Arnold Schwarzenegger seemed very into this idea. Later on in the boardroom, he would say this to Carson Kressley. The point I'm trying to make is why didn't you use that as the main photograph? Because as you know, the camera adds 10 pounds to the certain places. So. I don't think that's true. I don't know if we want to see Carson Kressley's big girthy member uh, selling Kawasaki's anytime soon. I mean, Arnold would know when he went out to that market when he had no clothes on and they had all those photographers there. Maybe that's when he got this idea. Please point more of your cameras at me so I can get more of the 10 it's, pounds. It's, very, co- it's very cold outside. Please, more cameras. It's very cold. Yes. I need all of the extra cameras pointed at me. Yes. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> John Lovitz was concerned uh, they would not have enough Purell for the motorcycle after the fact, Megan. Uh, yeah, that was probably a good idea. Just just for sanitary sake, just keep everything clean. And, you know, um, e- even after Alaska went on it, she may have dropped some some hairspray <laughs> or something else on it that you, you probably just want to clean it off every time. <laughs> yeah, Mike. So we had the arrival of our drag queen, Alaska. What what is Alaska's? <laughs> Full name. I thought they were you would never bleep. ask. Uh, all the little children who might be listening to this podcast, uh, maybe mommies maybe and daddies. You can, could just see. I mean, maybe they could send him off with yeah. a piece of chocolate. Because uh, I mean, I'm gonna say it. Her name is Alaska Thunder Five Thousand. Uh, this okay. name is repeated many, many times throughout the hour, and I can now die happy knowing that Arnold Schwarzenegger said the word Thunder at some point in his life. <laughs> So, okay, now we know. Did they drop the number 5,000? Well, they dropped Thunder and 5,000 for her time on Drag Race. I'm very surprised they kept the last name in there. Uh, oh, she's been on Drag Race? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, oh, let oh, me, I have no idea. Don't even get me started here, Rob. I just saw Alaska on my television. She is one of the most, she is one of the most famous people to come out of Drag Race. She was uh, a runner-up on season five. Someone argues she actually should have won season five. And she is the winner of the most recent edition. There was an all-stars edition that wrapped up this past fall, and Alaska was the winner of that. So she really is one of the most notable names to come out of RuPaul's Drag Race, and that sort of has a reflection on the drag scene as a whole. The stars are all out on Celebrity Apprentice. I was going to say, I'm actually intrigued about how the booking came about, because if you notice, George was the one to get Alaska, which surprises me, considering that Carson is a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race and, in fact, was a main judge on the season that Alaska just won. You would think that they would have the closer connection, not Alaska and Boy George. Well, one of the interesting things that I think is coming to light is another power duo this season, Megan, of uh, Carson and Boy George. They were a great buddy cop team tonight. They did a yes. great job together of uh, putting all their ideas together. And that's how I knew the men were going to win, because you didn't really see anything else besides the two of them collaborating. So the women have a lot of different ideas. Some of them are really strong. They have this idea where they have Lisa with Kyle and it's big and little. And then they have Lisa sort of like stiff arming a couple of guys on her way to the motorcycle. And then they have this really fun idea of, well, why don't we have a woman 
with a man on the back of the motorcycle. I don't think I've ever seen that picture before. Sounded like a winner to me. And it was all going well until Brooke Burke said, why don't we bring in my husband, David Charvet? What? The David Charvet? (laughs) Yes. The David Charvet is coming here? Yes. And he's going to be in the photo because... He's a hot guy and we'll get him on the motorcycle with Brooke Burke and everything is going well until he hears what the premise is for this idea, Mike. Do you think David Charvet had to be pulled away from the Baywatch remake? Of course, I'm assuming that he's main billing for that, of course. Right next, it's Zac Efron, The Rock, and then David Charvet <laughs> following up the rear. Yes. Okay. I'm trying to see. I'm looking on IMDb. I want to see what the last thing David Charvet was doing was. So uh, he did Baywatch. Then he did Melrose Place uh, in 1998. Then he did nothing until 2002. Then he has nothing between 2002 and 2008. Uh, Then he was in a TV movie in 2010. And then he was in a thing called Prisoners of the Sun in 2013. And now he's on Celebrity Apprentice in 2017. And I should point out, he was on a 2009 ABC summer reality series called The Superstars, which apparently paired together <laughs> a celebrity and an athlete. Three guesses as to the athlete who David Charvet was paired with. Layla Ali. Very close. It's someone who's on the same team. Lisa Leslie. Uh, ding, ding, ding. You got it. So we have uh, previous connections here. No idea if it ended up, you know, culminating in anything. So it seemed like David Charvet came on through his bitch fist and promptly left. Uh, but it's interesting that he has a connection with, a, with another contestant on the show. Yeah. Megan, how horrible is David Charvet? David Charvet is horrible. <laughs> I mean, uh, just to start off, as soon as I heard Brooke Burke Charvet say, my husband, David Charvet, the celebrity, I was like, ugh, <laughs> who is this that's going to show up? Um, I was not familiar with his work. And it was just like, he all he had to do was sit down. That's all her, all she was asking him to do was, please sit, David. And he couldn't do it for her. It wasn't real. It was for a picture. That's the best part. He's like, oh, I don't I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to be seen. I'm going to be seen like a wimp in front of everyone in front of the four judges and the gaggle of people that they hired to get brought in and watch this presentation and goggle at it. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger throws him under the bus later by saying like, oh, no, I would have done that. I don't care about being a girly man. So it's clear that like David Charvet completely undid any sort of reputation he had over the course of these two minutes. Well, his quote was he didn't want to have Arnold Schwarzenegger look at him like he was a wimp if he sat on the back of the motorcycle. What would Arnold think, Megan? Arnold wouldn't mind. He was down for it. Arnold's ready to hop on the back of that pony anytime. (laughs) Yeah. And this is what he said to Brooke Burke when she told him about the idea. Are you out of your tree? Are you out of your tree, Mike? (laughs) That's I again, I don't know what this this man is also French, so maybe that's a French expression, but I haven't heard that idiom said maybe since a rerun of Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> Are you out of your tree to think that I would sit on the back of a of a motorcycle that a woman was driving? Now, come on, come on, Brooke. Let's get back Brooke, let's get back to our twin beds uh <laughs> that we share in our room while you make me dinner and I read the Sunday paper. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how he can have this stance when it's clear that Brooke's making all the money in the family. <laughs> wow. 
I don't know. Yeah, she did seem like she has a lot of people that she was able to get for the fundraising test. But I just don't know why nobody was able to just say to David Charvet, this is it's just a picture. It's not real. It's like, you know, like sometimes when you're acting and you pretend, you know, every three or four years when you do acting <laughs> that you pretend to be somebody that you that that's not really you like this is this is it's just a picture. I feel worse for Brooke here because I think. You could throw some shade at her when she she has to kind of go back and say like you know what he's right maybe it's fine you know it's not really realistic if I'm the one driving the motorcycle but at the same time if her husband is being such a bitch about this now and if she <laughs> humiliates him on public television by also calling him a whip there she is not going to come home to a happy husband so I guess you know happy husband happy life but well, bad team right. If David Charvet is not happy, nobody's happy, I think, is what the old saying is. You know, I got uh, a few people asking me. I think it was Byron Hussey wanted to know, would Rob have agreed to ride on the back of the bike or would he have found it to be too challenging to his masculinity? You know, part of being the bad boy of podcasting is uh, being willing to take risks and push the envelope and disrupt the space. So I would have I would have done it. I would have gotten right on the back of that motorcycle. Well, if you had been naked as well, there definitely would have been some space <laughs> disrupted. Or dressed as yeah. a priest. <laughs> yes. Yes, because these are motorbikes for everybody, not just for David Charvet to drive around in. Uh, though I also liked in the men's presentation that Carson said that like the two typical types of guys in his ads were represented by Ricky Williams, who was doing an iconic Arnold Schwarzenegger shirtless pose, oiled up, and Vince yes. Neal in a tuxedo with a tiny dog. Those are definitely yes. clientele amongst Kawasaki drivers, clearly. <laughs> well, yeah, in that Vince Neal photo with the dog, it's like, okay, we got Vince Neal, and he's in a tuxedo, but we're disrupting the whole thing by we're giving him a small dog also. <laughs> like, wow. Motorcycle industry, you are on notice. Kawasaki has disrupted once again a man and a dog. <laughs> the rebel brand cannot be stopped today. Do you think yes. do you think Lovitz was angry though that Jerry Bruckheimer the third was not used, even though he was used in like two other ads this season? So maybe he hit his quota so far. He was getting uh, too much FaceTime. So I'm really surprised that the women didn't get on Brooke Burke's case more about this because that really was their best idea that they had. And I think you're right, Mike, that uh, Brooke Burke had to really sell like, no, no, I think he has a good point about this. It's really, you know, when you think about it, yeah, if he wouldn't do it, you know. Yeah, and it's tough. I don't think we've ever, correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, ever faced a situation where Someone was torn between their team and their significant other in terms of, you know, which way to go. So she was really caught between a, a rock and a hard place there. Megan, we got to the point where Kyle had to make a call. They had five photos. They had to pick one to eliminate. And it did seem as though the Porsche-Lisa rivalry spilled over into Kyle's decision. Uh, Portia would say later, uh, us housewives have each other's back. Did you feel like that that was part of the reason why the second Lisa photo didn't get selected? Yeah, they were they were just like, oh, we have to have Portia. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't have to have Portia anywhere near this. But yeah, the housewife bond is uh, strong. They're uh, they're blood sisters. 
Yeah, because they had the picture of Lisa and Kyle together. And then they had the picture with Lisa sort of like stiff arming, walking to the bike or like with like stiff arming the guy while she was on the bike. And they said, no, 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 we need to use the Portia picture because we can't have too much Lisa. We need this picture of Portia handing her shoes to some poor sad sack guy that's just standing there. What a, what a wimp that guy is. He's no David Charvet, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's very akin to like doing a high school play where it's like, well, everyone in it needs to have a part. So I'm going to take some of your lines, main lead, and give them away to this random farmer. They're going to say this in the middle of the big scene. Megan, did you think it was fair that the men were able to take the photos that they didn't use and make a collage? Did you feel like that that was outside of the spirit of the task? No, because I don't feel like they tried to, you know, make a mountain of it. They just said, hey, we're going to put these other photos. Because really, if they only had four photos they could have used, why did they photograph like 25 to 55 different people? <laughs> there was a there was a montage at the end where I was like, whoa, who are all these yeah. women? There was someone yeah, doing right, yoga. Let's name them. Let's go. Let's go back and forth. This is the game, okay? Right. So that's going to go back and forth. Uh, you keep going until you can't name a photo that was taken. Mike, you'll go first. All right. Uh, are we talking – the ones that were already mentioned, are they off the table right now? No, nope, no. Nope. Get them out there. All right. I'll start with my girl, Alaska. Alaska, the drag queen. Yes. Megan. Uh, naked Carson. <laughs> naked Carson. Okay. Uh, pushing the envelope. Uh, John Lovitz as the priest. That's a good one. <laughs> Um, Vince Neil pushing the boundaries as a tuxedo dog lover. <laughs> Good. Megan. The homage to Annie Leibovitz, Ricky Williams, dipped in oil. <laughs> Greasy Ricky Williams. Yes. <laughs> Didn't they have like a, a, a woman? Did they have a woman there? That's too vague to win this, Rob. <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> okay, Chael and his family. Oh, that's a good go. one. Um, this is the one I think you were thinking of, Rob. The shoe girl, the woman who couldn't drive the motorcycle because there were a bunch of shoes thrown in front of it for some reason. <laughs> the random woman in white doing yoga on top of the, <laughs> on the bus. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm out. All right, Mike. Uh, we have the two, the one younger woman and the one older woman uh, being back to back like <laughs> Thelma and Louise on the bike. Yes. Yes. I thought that they were maybe a couple. I thought that's what they were going for. Uh, I guess age has no limits. <laughs> I'm out. Megan. I'm out. The older woman who was holding the shoes in her hand was the last thing I had. Um, we all, <laughs> uh, I think we, Mike, you're the winner. We also have a uh, boy George. I think just cocking an eyebrow oh, in yeah. true boy George fashion. <laughs> I don't know why these images are just stuck in my head now. Maybe Carson did his work on me because I remembered them all for some reason. Wow, Mike, you have a real photographic memory when it comes to uh, the montages of Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, literally. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, the women end up with their four photos. Uh, the guys end up with their four photos. They have the greasy Ricky Williams, the challenging convention with the drag queen. Uh, they have the uh, even a man can handle it photo. Which which one was that, Mike? That was the shoe woman for some reason. <laughs> shoe woman. Right. Uh, and then they had the Vince Neil photo, which uh, Megan, I was surprised that that made the cut. I was surprised, too, but uh, I guess they just needed it. They're like, and Vince is the epitome of the brand because he rides motorcycles and wears tucks with little dogs. 
Mike, did you feel like that Chael uh, really had a good point in terms of that how the brand was going to be perceived with the potentially naked photo and the drag queen being used? Look, I don't know if Chael is going to be uh, allowed into any drag clubs anytime soon based on his <laughs> anti-drag comments, but I do feel like there was some legitimacy to his comments. I, I think we've seen a few times in Celebrity Apprentice that you know, you're given the comment pushing the envelope. And I feel like John actually vocalized it a little bit in the beginning of their planning that like sometimes when execs mean push the envelope, they really don't mean push it that far. And Carson was pushing it pretty far, bringing in a lot of different types of people. I know Boy George was preaching, you know, the openness in which our society exists today. But still, you wonder if even though it's a fake campaign, if executives really want to sell their product using such unconventional examples. Yeah, I think that there's probably a way to do it on the Celebrity Apprentice of that. I think a little bit of that goes a long way. We're just like, uh, are you? Are we sure we want to do this? Like, I think that you could just then you could say in the boardroom that I, I raised the concern. That, that's usually good for individual immunity in one of these uh, boardrooms. Yes, yeah, the Lisa Leslie approach. <laughs> Yeah, the Lisa Leslie. I think you just do that for everything. I think that's that's the way to go. Or the okay. Dion Warwick approach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we go to the boardroom, and uh, this is when Arnold asks why Carson uh, didn't ultimately use the naked photos. Uh, so we go into how everybody did. Everybody is pretty happy. Everybody's pretty positive about it. And it turns out that, again, this was another close battle between the men and the women. The executives loved the men's creativity, great knowledge, but did they push the envelope a bit too far? That was uh, one of the things they were kicking around. And then the women, they liked how they used the ergo fit and they made the bike approachable, but they really would have liked that Brooke Burke photo if it was the other way. What do you think David Charvet was saying, Megan, as he watched this episode tonight? I think he was saying, how dare those executives say that? I am the great David Charvet. Yes, yes. Don't they know who they're dealing with? <laughs> do you, how much do you think uh, Do you think David Charvet is going to try to jockey for a spot on one of these Celebrity Apprentice seasons now? Well, I don't know if he's going to make the cut, to be honest. <laughs> so. I actually couldn't believe I think Alaska is a bigger star than some of the people who have ended up on Celebrity Apprentice. A hundred percent. Yes. OK, so let's compare. Let's combine to Alaska Thunder F uh, and David Charvet are both on Twitter. <laughs> Alaska Thunder F verified. David Charvet is not. Well, well, he's in the same category as you, Rob. So that's yes, okay. That's fine. Alaska Thunder F 5,000, 273,000 Twitter followers. Uh, David Charvet, 21.5 thousand. Wow. I'm surprised he has more than 21.500, to be honest. <laughs> Although I have, I'm over at DavidCharvet.com. Oh. And um, yeah. Looks like I don't know what exactly is going on here on DavidCharvet.com. It does not seem to be about his act. Maybe he's out the game, David Charvet. He didn't. Looks like his like uh, his website about something about like uh, building like wine cellars and pools. Yeah, I see mill work. Uh, <laughs> these are real estate listings, not his acting work. <laughs> don't you understand? My real estate career could be ruined if I'm seen on the back of a motorcycle. Nobody wants to buy houses from a guy who rides on the back of a motorcycle. 
Yeah. Here he is on his website riding in the back of a flatbed truck. <laughs> Can't be seen on the back of a motorcycle. I'll be ruined. <laughs> Oh boy, yes. I hope I hope we can give David Charvet's website the RHAP bump now. As a result, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Uh, the real David Charvet is also on Instagram, but it is a private Instagram account. So maybe somebody can follow. <laughs> Just listings uh, of homes this- of ranch houses in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> yes. Okay. So ultimately, we get the decision. The men win. It was very close, and they really think that the women lack some originality. So there will be a price to pay in the boardroom and so we find out that the least favorite images that the women used were the images of brooke and the porsche image megan was it fair to hate on the porsche image do you think that one was bad i didn't think it was great but it wasn't like we can't play the game of the other shots that the women had they had five i mean that's it so there wasn't really a huge gamut to choose from but certainly the wrong call was made to not include the other Lisa picture over the Porsche image, right? Yes, they had one photo that was cut out and they made the wrong choice with the one that was cut out. Or you could have cut the Brooke Burke one and then <laughs> included the other you, Porsche. You don't cut the Charvet, Rob. The Charvet <laughs> stays front and center. I guess so. I guess so. When you have the David Charvet, you can't throw away that gold. Actually, I think Carson's two photos of the uh, the old and younger woman who might or might not be in a relationship was more of a girl power <laughs> picture than the David Charvet one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly did. It just seemed like it was just so boring of like, OK, well, here's two people on a motorcycle. Check this out. Yeah, their whole oh. thing. Their whole thing was wimpy. They ended up looking wimpy in it. Well, that's just Kyle Richards in general, though, right? We sort of have for the second task in a row, kind of a spineless PM who doesn't even want to throw anyone else under the bus in the final boardroom. She does a thing in the boardroom where it's like, okay, so tell me, Kyle, who would you fire? She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's not really anybody. Everybody was good. I mean, except for Brooke. But there's the one thing. And it's like, really, it was fine. Like, she's like, she does eventually throw somebody under the bus, but then she walks it back. She really does it under her breath, Megan. Yeah, she does. She does. She didn't really show her full spine. I always expect these housewives to come out with claws out. But much like Snooki that we expected to have some claws, they just kind of flop in. Yeah, we really don't know what the dynamic is between Kyle and Portia. I have no idea sort of their backstory and sort of any relationship that they might have had on or off the show. But they do seem like uh, they're pretty chummy, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I guess there is some sort of I wouldn't call it solidarity because I don't think the housewives brand in general is about solidarity, but there is sort of like what you might experience with other survivor players of like, Hey, we've kind of been through the same experience. They're from different seasons. I believe Kyle is uh, Beverly Hills and Portia is Atlanta. So completely different sides of the country. But I mean, even like Kenya and Brandy from last season, I felt like we didn't see too, too much of them fighting. Kenya was fighting with literally everyone else, but not so much with Brandy. And then how do you think David Charvet felt when he heard that the women could have called Arnold Schwarzenegger and he himself would have sat on the back of the bike, Megan? I bet he thought, Arnold, what a wimp you are. You and your small calves, Arnold. <laughs> I am not selling your house any day of the week, Mr. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Now, Mike, do you think it was a real thing? Do you think that, hey, uh, hello, Mr. Schwarzenegger. Hi, it's Brooke Burke. 
Hi, I was wondering to see if you could come down and be in our photo shoot so you could sit on the back of a motorcycle that I'm driving. He's like, okay, when do you need me there? I will be there right away to be on the back of the motorcycle for your photograph. I know that depends. Are they Skyping him like he did Warren Buffett in some sort of random restaurant in California? <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> um, I mean, no, that's, that's a completely facetious claim. He That would be completely against any sort of laws of fairness. A great celebrity apprentice does not operate on any laws of fairness whatsoever. But if you completely unfair for him to not for them to not give it to the presentation that had the host of the show in it. Yeah, it would really set up a very absurd boardroom situation where then he would have to, you know, well, I guess the executives pick a team that won, but then it would be hard to fire the person who said that he should be in the picture. Like, what are you thinking with that idea? It's a terrible idea to put me in the photograph. Why would you pick that idea? <laughs> it's like, I know it's like you had a good idea. But it would be, be uh, really would be an absurd thing, Megan. Uh, it would have absolutely been absurd. He would have never done it. Also, he would have, you know, he's got so many muscles. You may not even been able to see Brooke on the motorcycle. Speaking of muscles, <laughs> yeah. should we talk about the Arnold Schwarzenegger shoehorned in moment of the task of him talking yes. about the Mr. Olympia judgment yes. pageant? Okay, well, let me set this up. So we get to the point where Kyle decides to bring back Brooke and also bring back Portia. I guess she had something to do with the creative somehow, but she ends up going back to the boardroom. And so we start talking about who should I fire? Who should be the person that goes home? And it was a very close competition. Now, Brooke Burke says her big rebuttal to this is, look, I don't think that one photo was the difference. I don't think that me sitting on the front of the bike would have made all the difference. And this brings us to our Arnold Schwarzenegger anecdote of the week. Then someone is going to have less of a presentation. I mean, it's like me going to the world championships in bodybuilding when you go to the Mr. Olympia. You know, it's understood that everyone has huge deltas and big biceps and triceps and abdominals and intercostal. Then you just look for who has maybe small calves. <laughs> what is the body part after abdominals? That's a good question. Inter inter right, I think it's go. intercostals. <laughs> in bodybuilding, when you go to the Mr. Olympia, you know, it's understood that everyone has huge deltas and big biceps and triceps and abdominals and intercostal. Then you just look for who has maybe small calves. Yeah, I'm no Ali Giancola, but I'm pretty sure he said intercostals. But who knew that calves were really the Achilles heel of these uh, bodybuilding competitions? Yes, chaos calves. Yeah, it's a big thing that goes on. I think I just love Arnold Schwarzenegger listing anything i think that just like listening to him that uh to go to the grocery store i need to go get lettuce and tomato and an onion and bread and milk like raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens these are a few of my favorite things that does take place in austria so it's appropriate <laughs> Yeah. Well, who knew that that's really the thing that is going to decide a lot of these bodybuilding uh, competitions, Megan? This is like when Johnny Drama needed to get calf implants. <laughs> uh, very important. It's very important. Very important. Yeah. Who knew? I had, uh, you know, almost no knowledge of Mr. Olympia competitions and what uh, the calf specifications were. And now I know a little bit more. Well, we know what's going to happen yeah. now, right, with the end game. He's going to, into the final boardroom, he's going to say, finalist, these was too close, so here's the tiebreaker. Pull up your pants. We're inspecting your calves. Turn around. Okay. Stand on your tippy toes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see you in the castle. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me see your Jocasta. <laughs> Put on your bow tie. <laughs> Put on your bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so we're getting some straight talk now Portia says uh you gotta fire kyle kyle says fire brooke and they don't even know they changed the thing in the last minute so she even like she can't even throw brooke under the bus like when it's just down to the final three of them and not also walk it back and brooke again sticks to that they didn't lose based on one image and so arnold has to get rid of Kyle. Megan, eulogy for Kyle. Uh, she uh, didn't bring the fireworks, the boom, kaboom, kablam that I expect from a housewife. Uh, I expected more of her. She didn't bring her big calves out tonight. So, you know, that's all right. Small we can let calves. her go. Yes, she had, she had small calves tonight. Mike, so far through five eliminations, have we lost anybody that you're really heartbroken over? Only Snooki in retrospect, because again, not to reiterate too much of what we talked about last week, but I think going in, we were all excited to see what she would bring, though she kind of uh, festered a bit. But yeah, coming up, we're about to talk about John Lovitz being fired. I would argue this is probably the biggest character we've seen eliminated so far this season. Well, then we're doing pretty damn good yeah. because, I mean, Kyle, really, I mean, did all she did was uh, she kept like throwing out ideas and then complaining that people did not execute the ideas that she threw out. That was like her thing. Yeah. And we missed out on the opportunity to see more bad ideas from Kyle. But I feel like the rest of our celebrities will have plenty more opportunities to throw out plenty more bad ideas. Like, do we know anything about what her background is? Is she like somebody who gets in a lot of fights on The Housewives? know about that i know that she, i think she's on with kim richards who she's related to so maybe they sort of gang up on the others but i don't know i knew more about her acting work than i do about her time on housewives yeah she was a child star so they're supposed to be like they're supposed to have a lot of like resentment and problems and like to fight a lot but yeah she like kirk deliver. cameron <laughs> yeah what, what was she in they watch. She was in Little House, right? Little House. I think Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie. And now she's a housewife, and and she's Paris Hilton's aunt, right? I believe so. I think that's the right story. No, I mean, she's been acting in more things than David Charvet. I hate to say it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Before we get to the second task, and speaking of fundraising, uh, I want to take a moment and talk about refinancedance.com now not everybody is like Vince Neal and can make a phone call and get $100,000 delivered to them stat so if you owe less than $625,000 on your home you need to know about refinancedance.com at refinancedance.com qualified homeowners can take advantage of the congressional mortgage relief program called HARP again that is not R-H-A-P, backwards, HARP. The program is totally free and doesn't add any cost to your refi. The only bad news is that like most government programs, this too will expire. Homeowners who act before the program expires this year can take advantage of the program. HARP really is a program with no downside. All it does is help qualified homeowners get better and more affordable mortgages responsible homeowners who have used harp to eliminate up to 15 years in mortgage payments cut their interest rates in half or have simply lowered their monthly payments and saved up to 4100 a year that is what how many times more than what john lovitz brings in mike oh at least three thousand percent more 
If you're waiting for John Lovitz to help you with your mortgage payments, forget it. If you want to learn more about HARP and the shocking amount you could save by refinancing, you need to connect with the lenders at refinancedance.com, a name that makes you smile, savings that will make you dance, refinancedance.com. That's refinancedance.com. Okay, let's get to the second task. And we are going to be talking candy, C's candy. Megan, have you ever had C's candy? What's the big deal about C's candy? Uh, I think that it's owned by Warren Buffett is the big thing. <laughs> That's the only thing about it. I had never heard about it. Is this a, is this an LA thing or am I making myself? I've definitely aware? seen, st- I see stores in malls that have this C's candy, but I don't really necessarily, I've never been into one of these uh, candy shops. Mike, have you? No, but it seems like we should because you can apparently get a picture with boy George next time you walk into a C's candy <laughs> shop. <laughs> yeah. So C's candy, they have a lot of different kids. What do they have? Like a lot of samplers, do you think, Mike? I mean, I guess so. I mean, the, the candy stores themselves didn't seem as outfitted as some of the ones you might see in a regular mall. So maybe they're going with the baked by Melissa approach. I don't know if that's too much of an East Coast terminology, but providing much smaller of a sampler size. Melissa Rivers? Yes, baked by Melissa Rivers. It's poor pit vipers baked into every vibe. <laughs> baked by Ricky Williams. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something else in there besides the whore pit vipers. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Uh, so we are going to have to make up our own candy, and this is when we get our tribe swap. And so Arnold comes in, and again, it's not like, okay, pick new buffs. It is the preordained swap. Megan, is that how they typically do it? It really depends on the season. I mean, Trump sometimes would just shift people around based on if one team was weaker, he might just move one person. Um, It's ranged anywhere from the sixth or from the fifth episode to the eighth episode. There really was no rhyme or reason to how the tribe swap worked in traditional Celebrity Apprentice, not the new Celebrity Apprentice. Though, if you guys if you guys notice, though, it seemed like maybe this was preordained, as you said, Rob, but it seemed like it was proximity, right? Because the three guys that Arnold picked were standing on the right of the men and the two women he picked were standing on the left. So it might have been preordained or maybe Arnold was just like, oh, chop them in half and we'll combine the two. <laughs> it could have been like the thing at tribal council when they tell you what seats to sit in. It was like the blocking was, okay, you guys are on the end. You guys are on the end. So it doesn't have as much commotion when you swap. Yeah. Well, maybe, so, uh, it's, I don't know if David Charvet would be able to be on The Apprentice then because if they ask him to stand in the back <laughs> row, he's not going to take it. No, no, he's not going to do that. D. Snyder, he's not going to take it either, Mike. <laughs> uh, at least before he breaks his hand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we end up with Carson... Vince and Chael all swapping. So we break up the Carson and Boy George power couple. Layla and Brooke are going to come over to the teams. Megan, do you like these new teams? I think they're good. I think it was time for a shakeup. I mean, the women were getting decimated and, you know, it's time to shake it up and see if we can get some new drama here. So at least we keep uh, Portia and Lisa together. That uh, we could have some fireworks there. Uh, we have to look out for some new fireworks potentially with Lisa and Chael. She says she doesn't like him, so uh, we'll see where it goes from here. All right, so here's the task: you have to make up a C's candy, you have to fundraise, and then one person is going to deliver a piece of candy to Warren Buffett, and then he's going to 
make the call. Mike, they really promoted the heck out of Warren Buffett being on the episode tonight. Yeah, and I remember in the press leading up to this show, they were I think there were some press that was saying Warren Buffett was going to be an advisor, much like, you know, we see from Gemma this episode. But no, it turns out he's much better to work remote from his place in Omaha. But I mean, I feel like he is a big enough magnet in the world that you would want to promote this appearance, even if it was for him to come on a show and talk about how much he loves candy. Yeah, but Megan, other than Chael Sonnen, is there anybody who's tuning into Celebrity Apprentice tonight to see Warren Buffett? I mean, maybe if you're not tuning into Celebrity Apprentice, maybe you want to look at this as some sort of a business case study. And, you know, maybe people who are just fans of Warren Buffett who buy his books, they're just trying to go for I mean, maybe their other advisors were a little <laughs> bit weaker in terms of people knowing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you feel like that there's enough uh, Warren Buffett stands out there that they'll just watch any reality show that he's going to be guesting on? Yeah, big Buffett heads out there in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, $25,000 is up for grabs. Uh, for that. So Vince Neal wants to be the project manager that apparently he has a lot of people, Megan, waiting to donate money. Did this surprise you? It didn't surprise me. Vince Neal is probably one of the wealthiest people on the cast. He goes out on tour, so he probably has a lot of other people out there than he knows. I wasn't surprised by this, but I mean, can we just talk about overall how excited was everybody just to see a fundraising task? I've been going to my wishing well every day wishing for this, and I'm so glad it came true. I wonder, though, since this came in the middle of the season, let's remember in seasons past, it's usually like right at the beginning and then one near the middle and then one near the end. Do you think this might be the only fundraising task we see outside of the final task since it was right smack dab in the middle of the season? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why they seem to be getting away from it. I feel like that in the past that there were a lot of seasons where they did so much of it and it was overkill. But it does seem weird that it's not until the sixth task that we even do it once. So that's an interesting observation, Mike. Yeah. And I mean, we'll also see. I mean, Vince Neil expended a lot of resources God only knows if he had any intentions of making it to the end, but if he somehow does, like, is he going to be tapped of resources now? Well, Vince Neal, he had a ace up his sleeve that he said he had a $100,000 call that he was going to make, and he was going to have a $100,000 donor. That does seem to be like the ceiling. Did even Trace Atkins, Megan, ever get more than a $100,000 donation? I, I don't know about Trace Adkins. I believe the highest one was uh, a person that does know about choppers, Paul Tuttle Sr. I believe he got a mysterious 300 and some oh, thousand wow. dollar check that came yeah. his way. Oh, what was it? Was, that, was it him or Trace that they were supposed to sell meatballs and he just never opened the store and said he just took money <laughs> in? <laughs> that yeah. was Trace, I think, who had that strategy of we'll just get all the wealthy people around. We'll just get country to support. One of the things that I really didn't care for is the decision in the boardroom. uh, And I know we'll get there. But when they say that Vince's team won and they gave all the money from the Ricky Williams team to Vince's charity, 
Like, I always feel like that that's wrong, where I think that these people are donating all this money and they're telling people what the cause is. And then, like, if somebody donated $50,000 because of the cause that they were sold, I don't think it's right to just take that money and give it to just any other charity or cause because that person was the winning project manager, especially if it's potentially a cause or a charity that somebody doesn't care for. Yeah, imagine if it went the other way and Vince's friend of a friend who was associated with the person that he was sort of Vince was associating his charity with, they had to give their money over to Ricky Ricky Williams charity, which I'm sure is great, but it's not it doesn't have as much of an emotional connection. There's a lot of weird charity, you know, play here as well. I don't know if you guys noticed, Matt Eisman ended up getting $10,000 from the Arthritis Foundation, which is the charity he's working for. They never usually say, hey, Charity, I'm supposed to be raising money to, you know, give to you. Can you give me some money? I'll pay you back. I promise. Well, it gets kind of dicey. And, you know, uh, Vince Neal's charity seems like a fine organization. But we've had a lot in the past, Megan, where these celebrities are playing for like a I'm playing for the Gary Busey Foundation. (laughs) And it's like some sort of thing that's like, wait, what is this charity? And you have one person that's like, yeah, I'm raising money for St. Jude's. Give us $50,000. Give us $100,000. And then you lose to a project manager that could have some sort of wacko charity. I don't really don't think that that's right. Rob, I can tell you, at least you've never changed your stance on this. You have been complaining about this on Celebrity yes. Apprentice podcast during the fundraiser task. I believe every single season you've brought <laughs> this up. Good. I'm and nothing but not consistent. So you are very consistent. Yes. As reliable, right. as reliable as dark chocolate brittle. Yes. If any of the executive producers of this show ever get into a position of power, I hope that they do something about this, Megan. Does this bother you more than the fact that the losing team got money on the, on the no, challenge cares? before <laughs> no who cares I, that uh, you know that kawasaki gave twenty five thousand dollars to kyle richards charity i just don't think because it's such the thing that, that bothers me is that it's such a large sum of money that people collect like to have some people really just like bust their butt and raise you know over three hundred thousand dollars and it's like oh no your charity doesn't get any of it it all goes to somebody else's charity that you had nothing to do with yeah, that $500 that John Lovitz raised, he worked <laughs> yes. really hard for it. Yes. So Ricky Williams has a team meeting and they're trying to figure out what candy they're going to make. John Lovitz has an idea for a candy, Mike. Uh, are you buying anything John Lovitz is selling? I abhor mint and chocolate. So I'm, I was just like Layla. Anytime John was pushing that in front of these people's faces, I would refuse it as well. I don't want to eat chocolate and have my teeth brushed at the same time. So John was going through like a, what, like a Kit Kat thin mint hybrid. Uh, It's not a hybrid. I want to sample. And it's like a thin mint, but it has, yeah, but no, you're you're not listening to what I'm like. I'm just like, oh, people don't even give him a chance, Megan. Well, would you give someone a chance talking about the mint, mint, Kit Kat, caramel, marshmallow candy, <laughs> especially in something that is about an inch by an inch size we're talking about is the serving size. That's a lot of flavor. It's like a small with toothpaste in it. <laughs> OK, so Layla has an idea and boy, she has a lot of stuff in her idea, too, Mike. Yeah, I I think Chael makes a great point later on during this sampling. I am also not a proponent of maybe I'm a chocolate stickler. I'm realizing this now of fruit in the chocolate. Uh, I'm a I'm fine with like chocolate covered strawberries and those types of things. But like 
a chocolate that has raspberry in it is not something that's entirely appealing to me as well. And it turns out that, you know, keep it simple, stupid is the motto that wins you $25,000 in this case. Hey, nobody's making uh, chocolate kisses, Mike. Unfortunately, that'd be, actually, that'd be really funny if somebody uh, just marketed a, a brand candy as their own and like, oh, yes, this is John Lovett's peanut butter cup. <laughs> Take a bite. Good. You're going to love it. Megan, <laughs> we have Ricky Williams who comes up with the tried and true apprentice strategy. You have a weak link on your team and you send them to go to the prop store. Yep. In this case, you send John Lovitz to Omaha. <laughs> I this I know I know we had to work Warren Buffett in, but when I heard they were going and, and I get it that Berkshire Hathaway is in is in Omaha, but that was a really far journey for once again an inch by inch piece of candy that they were judging. <laughs> Yeah, they have to deliver it to Warren Buffett. I did love the uh, the Westward Home music that was playing while they were trying to make Omaha look interesting by doing all these B-roll <laughs> shots of it. Yeah. Well, who knew that Warren Buffett was uh, a big chocolate head, Mike? I Yeah, I guess he's... I mean, Shale knew, apparently. He knew all of yeah. his eating habits. I don't know if, if, uh, if much like Layla Ali, Warren Buffett came out with his own cookbook, but it seems like Shale has been... A very, very uh, introspective in terms of the eating habits of one Warren Buffett. (laughs) I will say there is a link on the C's website, C's.com slash Warren Buffett's favorites. So it's not that difficult to find what he's into. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's C's.com slash Warren Buffett's favorites. Yes. Okay. And so if you want to think like Warren Buffett, you have to eat like Warren Buffett. Megan, is it true that Warren Buffett loves candy and chocolate so much that he will get tastefully naked for chocolate and cashews? I mean, I think that's why uh, on the screen you only saw Arnold without part of his clothes with his head showing. I mean, he may have taken his clothes off. Warren Buffett may have gotten him so worked up about loving chocolate. Warren, I can tell that you have how, how many different webcams are on you right now. They each have 10 pounds to the correct areas for you. Oh, excuse me one second. Wait, uh, another gin and tonic, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John Lovitz really gets into it with Ricky Williams. He does not want to go, yet his argument against going is whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do. Ricky Williams says, go to Omaha. Whatever you need me to do. <laughs> Like, okay, go there. (laughs) Stop (laughs) fighting me. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, I I have to put up the question here maybe of, you know, John Lovitz is so much fun to watch, but do we feel like this was enough Lovitz? Because as much of a a sour puss and not a sweet puss as he was throughout this season, do you think we could have dealt with more episodes of him being a grumpy Gus about all of this? He had moments, but I feel like that uh, he might have been mailing it in a little bit. I mean, he says in defense of to go to Omaha, can I bring Brooke with me? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, go, just go to Omaha. What do you think he would have done if it, if it was for some reason, you know, Ricky sent them both? It would just be what, like. Brooke giving the pitch and Lovitz just sort of standing there skulking in the background, offering dollar bills to him like he was some sort of stripper. (laughs) Dance for me, you octogenarian. Come on. (laughs) Shake it for this nougat. (laughs) 
I did like the strategy to send uh, John Lovitz to Omaha, though. Uh, but unfortunately, he was not able to be making any phone calls uh, because of that. So uh, Chael is the person who finds that Warren Buffett likes the dark chocolate. He likes the he likes the brittle uh, cashew brittle. It is uh, they have cashew cachet. Megan, would you be interested in something like this? Uh, yeah, this sounds fine. I mean, it's I think of the two. I can't even understand why anybody would eat the other one. It's nine different flavors in one thing. It's too much. You wouldn't be into it? It's too much. No, I like the the simpler chocolate. No, I would be very much. I think that maybe I have similar tastes to Warren Buffett in terms of the chocolate. Maybe not so much in terms of the investing acumen, <laughs> but in terms of the candy. I'm right there with Warren Buffett. Well, that's a good start, though. You're there on, <laughs> on the ground level with the chocolate loves. You just got to work your way up one step at a time. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of the same interests as Warren Buffett in candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Chael wants to go to Omaha, but Lisa is fighting him to go to Omaha. Mike, did you follow why Lisa felt like she should be the person to go to Omaha? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe Lisa was saying, you know, I think I could represent it well but i mean chael was frothing at the mouth at the idea of meeting someone who he idolizes and apparently is a shareholder in his company as well which would be interesting i wonder if uh, off camera chael tried to blackmail a little bit with warren buffett of saying like hey i could pull my money anytime from your company if you don't pick mine. yeah i mean he could really do some damage to warren buffett's portfolio if he was to basically just sell all of his shares in warren buffett's holdings he'd be as difficult as uh, david charvet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i thought that chael made some good points of hey i know a lot about warren buffett i've read his books i have stock in his company but lisa was just like yeah but i think i should go and we never really got the counterpoint megan yeah it was a really weak argument i mean much like matt eisman has like pictures of arnold schwarzenegger ever everywhere it seems like chael also has like <laughs> statues of Warren Buffett in his home and posters and shrines. So it's like, let him go. Let him be in his uh, candy land in Omaha. These people have weird yeah. idols. I can't wait for like <laughs> someone to be like, I love Wallace Shawn. I can't wait for him to be on one of these episodes so I can froth over my dinner with Andre. <laughs> Mike, who's your idol? John Hamm. Alaska Thunder F? <laughs> John Hamm. I Why is John Hamm so preoccupied with everybody's taxes? I don't know. It's too but much. I don't know. I, I'm waiting for April 15th to come because that's when I'm assuming John Hamm will storm into my Bastille and ask for my taxes. That's the only I can assume based on these commercials. Had enough of Don Draper with these wacky taxes commercials. <laughs> taxes are much like a carousel. Every year you're coming back around to them. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get back to talking about the candy factory. Matt Eisman and Layla that really uh, Matt Eisman was like a regular Willy Wonka, Megan. He was. He was in. He was loving it. And uh, that's when Layla found out. Oh, no, he is not just a doctor. He's not just a host. He's a stand up comedian, too. And he was making his uh, I have a little machete jokes. And uh, yes, she learned a lot about him. He has a little machete. Mike. <laughs> Oompa Loompa Doompa T Weenus. Meanwhile, we got to see the other team, Portia and Carson, go in. And uh, Carson, uh, very fun at the uh, candy factory, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. This is, again, why I'm. I have, he had a very solid week. I'm happy that he's still in as my winner pick. Uh, a bum shoulder cannot keep a good personality down. And clearly he was able to work on the, the nuts and the bottoming rollers enough, even with one arm. 
Yes, he was able to get through it. Uh, Meanwhile, back at headquarters, Megan. So Ricky Williams got real quiet as he was making all of his phone calls. And Brooke Burke kept looking over his shoulder like he was David Charvet on a motorcycle. This was terrifying. (laughs) Ricky is just sitting there trying to make phone calls. And you can just hear her breathing and walking slower and be like, I knew he was supposed to have donors. He better come through with the donors. You're going to come through with the donors, right? It's like, get out of here, Brooke. You're so scary right now. <laughs> yeah. Who are all her donors? Where were they coming from, Mike? It's all of David Charvet's home buyers. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> maybe maybe Tom Bergeron, since he, she worked on Dancing with the Stars with him for a while. Though we probably would have heard about that, right? Even though it's a rival network. I don't know that Brooke Burke. I know she was famous for wild on, but I don't know what else was her big things that she did. My brother has in my room that I sleep in when I go home, a very, I would say untastefully (laughs) almost nude picture of Brooke Burke. It's very disturbing. And that I had the room in the basement in my parents' house And then when I moved out of my parents' house, my brother took over the one bedroom that was in the basement. And then he put up all of his like posters and pictures with his friends. And he put up this picture of like Brooke Burke, basically nude, but she has like gold foil (laughs) on her. And this is uh, basically other than Wild On, this is the only thing I know Brooke Burke from. That's your brother's idol? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So which hometown staple would you rather see on a Kawasaki, Rob? A naked Brooke Burke or the creepy doll from Nicole's parents' basement? <laughs> the creepy doll. God, why can't... <laughs> is- I just I don't even understand. Why do we still have a poster? It's still up in my mom's house. Like, Can we take down this shrine to Brooke Burke? Are you sure your brother isn't pulling a Shawshank and there's some sort of, I don't know, a hole leading to the outside Escape behind the Brooke Burke out? Yeah. <laughs> no, because at least in Shawshank, they updated the posters every 10 years. <laughs> I don't know what year he got this Brooke Burke poster, but it's got to be like 20 years old. It must be an antique then. I wonder how much that could net on eBay or among a, a David Charmay's <laughs> website. Yeah. I don't know. I think we probably get a, a uh, Lovitzian figure uh, for that. <laughs> yeah, one right. Lovitz amount. One Lovitz amount. Maybe I could sell the poster to David Charvet, perhaps. All right, so let's go check in with Warren Buffett. And here we get to have our taste test. Very funny. John Lovitz starts uh, slipping some money to Warren Buffett, Megan. Yes, I think he got up to $11 he got to him, which he should have saved that money for his fundraising. I was going to say, that ends up being what, like 10% of what he ends up raising anyway? Yeah, he should say, well, Warren Buffett gave me $11. (laughs) He did hand it back to him. Yeah, Warren Buffett says if you get up to 100, now you're talking. John Lovitz didn't really follow through on that. Who would have thought Warren Buffett, the second richest man in America, would be bought for so cheap? Yeah, what a day for Warren Buffett. Not only was he on, he on The Celebrity Apprentice, he was also named as one of the eight people in the world that have half of the wealth. Did you see this today, Megan? Uh, I did not read that article today. That is very interesting, though. Good for him. Um, yes. He's created a yes. great empire. Yes, he has uh, that. He is one of eight men who have half of the wealth in the entire world. Uh, that question is, when is, uh, if they keep it in California, when are we going to get Zuckerberg on the show? 
<laughs> we'll see. We'll see how many of them we could get on the show this season. And then Warren Buffett says, uh, what a poker face, Warren Buffett. He says, oh, I could use a whole box of these when in actuality he was just, his mouth was watering trying to get one of these dark chocolate cashew brittle. I'd love a box of these that I'd put in the trash. You just got you just got buffeted. <laughs> yeah. Although Megan, I do feel like that the uh, raspberry cream uh, milk chocolate. Uh, I do feel like that that's more of an old guy candy. That's kind of what I was thinking because it's pecan almond vanilla raspberry milk chocolate is what the actual thing was, and that's also what I thought. Maybe that's what John Lovitz was going for with the mint. Maybe he thought like Warren Buffett's old; he'll like the mint. But uh, no, it didn't seem to go that direction. He's a brittle I, I, man. I present to yeah. you a Werther's original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because brittle it can be a dicey proposition for an octogenarian, Mike. That's true. I, hopefully, nothing got into his dentures. At least it didn't, because it seemed to not demure him from giving him the money at the end of the day <laughs> brittle isn't just for when we're talking bone density of the octogenarian mike that's very true i guess brittle might represent the octogenarian so i might be casting a wide net here uh warren buffett seems to be doing great i mean he's in enough of a great state that he's be able to eat chocolate literally every day of his life and still be well in his 80s <laughs> well megan we got to see arnold and warren buffett have the meeting over skype to talk about which candy he liked and uh, Warren Buffett, he loves eating candy. That's not work for him to sit there. He could taste candies all day, but he gets Arnold on Skype to deliver his message. This was so great. I mean, Arnold was like if any sort of person, you know, over a certain age that stereotypically does not know where the camera is when you're doing FaceTime or Skype and is so close to the camera. And of course, he's in like a stairwell with all these waiters running behind him. It's such a shady scene. Warren, I can't even see you. Do you have the camera faced on you? <laughs> Go to settings. Go to settings. <laughs> Make sure your camera selected. Warren, you know what they say about the camera? It adds 10 pounds. Like, no, <laughs> I've just been eating candy all day. It really has nothing to do with the camera. That's all I do is eat. Yeah, Arnold, said, Arnold all day. said he, he gained five pounds from sampling the candy, which we didn't see anything of. But that plus the camera, Arnold's gained a, a cool 15 over the course of these two episodes. <laughs> Yeah, Arnold might not do any carbs and then just a couple of candies uh, really threw him off. All right. So we go to see the Ricky team. It seems like this was a little bit of a surprise to me how much that we were going all in on Boy George, Megan. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Boy George was able to use social media like Kevin Jonas touted that he could do and bring in his fans. And like Mike said, if this is the only fundraiser challenge you're going to have, you may as well use your donors while you got him. His manager was there. Um, people who would have the same hat as him, they showed up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, they called it the Karma Caramel, Mike. <laughs> did, did they really call it the Karma Caramel? Yeah, that's what it was called. Oh, that's, that's what they were signing. I didn't yeah. even realize that. And between that and my, Matt Eisman's literally quoting verbatim, do you really want to hurt me last week? I mean, those are really his only two songs, but I'm glad that they're mentioning them on the show. <laughs> and so they did a good job of they got all of the Boy George supporters out and uh, they were paying a lot of money. And again, uh, Boy George was saying like, uh, this really means a lot because these people have no money and they're giving over. <laughs> and, and this, Megan, I think this might even be worse than the people that make these big donations. Here's all these people that paid all this money because Boy George, oh, Boy George has raised money for charity. And then it went all to Vince Neal's charity. Boy George hates Vince Neal. 
I mean, as long as Vince Neil's charity wasn't like a pro alcohol charity, I think we're okay with where the money went. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it wasn't my, like my, the wine growers or, my, or something like that. My charity is a Franzia Users United. We're uh, <laughs> boosting the image of box wine across the nation. All right, so we are getting $100 for a selfie for Boy George. All of his fans are there. $500 check comes in, Mike, from the Laugh Factory for John Lovitz. Yeah, that, that, that's it. The buck literally stops there for Mr. Lovitz. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an embarrassing amount to even send in. Yeah, I mean, if John Lovitz gave as much as Carrot Top did, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Megan, did Richard Hatch raise more money in season four during the fundraising task when he got fired selling the paintings? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much he sold during that. I couldn't tell you, but we've definitely had people who have raised zero dollars. I mean, you yeah. have people that it's there's been people with much sadder stories like David Cassidy had one check and it was from his daughter. I mean, there's <laughs> definitely some sadder things that have happened. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin um, had like a big donor coming in, but the donor didn't understand how like the game worked. So the donor gave all his money to the opposing team by accident. <laughs> And then, of course, my favorite fundraising story, I think, is when the Blue Man Group showed up and had all of the money in balloons. And when they popped it, just the crowd went chaotic and started stealing all of the money. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's better to raise zero dollars than five hundred dollars, Mike. Why? Because then you could say you failed miserably rather than actually trying to attempt something and failing. No, I think it's probably you could craft a narrative with zero dollars of Mr. Schwarzenegger, governor. I was tasked with going to Omaha to go. I I had my sole focus on delivering the candy. If I would have been tasked with fundraising, you better believe I would have been working the phones. But my project manager told me he needed me on that plane to Omaha. And by God, that's what I did. Whereas, yeah, I tried. I only got $500, though. Uh, but but Mr. Houseplant Patrick Schwarzenegger brought up that, you know, Chael was on the same path as John, but he raised $40,000. So Chael kind of screwed him there. Yes, but he's read three Warren Buffett books, which <laughs> gives him an unfair advantage in all things business. Are you saying John Lovitz was reading the books on the plane and that's why he couldn't call in <laughs> yes. donations? Just got them. He just got them. He didn't even know there was a Seize Candy website. Uh, so they were waiting for a lot of money that came through because of Ricky Williams' cannabis connections. And there was some question, Mike, as to whether the cannabis crew was going to uh, be able to deliver, whether they were going to remember to come in and bring in the check. Yeah, and I feel like we didn't really see that part of the equation. Maybe it just wasn't shown on film. But I mean, when we get to Ricky in the boardroom and he said he didn't raise his goal of 300000 we don't exactly know how much that might have contributed. Because not only are we going to have the cannabis community, but Ricky also said, you know, some NFL players might have brought in some money. It didn't seem like... If, I didn't see any. Yeah, if we were if we were going to get any NFL players, I feel like they would have shown them, right? So... I'd say most of his donations were probably people from that community, but most of it probably went a little bit up in smoke, so to say. (laughs) All right. Meanwhile, the Vince team, uh, they are making it happen. Uh, We get to see some of Lisa's friends come in, and then we get a cavalcade of strippers, Hooters girls, Carrot Top, Megan. 
Carrot Top was on screen for no more than 1.2 seconds. It was like, if you blinked, you may have just thought they said Carrot Top. He was like leaning over the cash register sadly. I was like, oh, this is not yeah. a nice scene. 1.2 yeah. seconds too long, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we got the chance to talk about Carrot Top again, because I got a few messages from people after the season premiere of Celebrity Apprentice, uh, most notably from great friend of the podcast, Matt Hoffman, who said, hey, I saw Carrot Top in the audience on the first episode when uh, I guess that they were doing the first task in the uh, season premiere when they had to do the makeup testing when they were doing the Tyra Banks makeup line. And Carrot Top was there on that episode. We also got it from a a few people on uh, Twitter or in my email, one of those places. And so is Carrot Top stalking the Celebrity Apprentice (laughs) to eventually get on? Or does he have a friend in this cast, Mike? What if he was like one of those alternates? Like, you know, what Jay was during Survivor Co. Wrong. (laughs) Of like, like Carrot Top, if anybody drops out last minute, you're going to be on the show. And he's like, well, I guess I'm in L.A., I might as well uh, stop by for it. I might pull a, pull a Kyle Richards and stop in, even though I'm no longer on the season. Top of the carrot, man. We need you to stand by because we could have you come in any minute. We have uh, one of the Eric Dickerson. He's going to leave, and then we need you to come in and take his place. Well, uh, Carrot Top is also very Jack, so I'm sure he passes the calf test. Yes, Carrot Top, I've been looking at you. Your biceps are good. Your abdominals are strong. You grow good calves. To give you mad props for using your act. I don't. I don't need props. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carrot Top would get the prop task on the Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> props. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So uh, we also had the return of Kyle Richards, Megan. Yeah. Yeah. Long time no see, Kyle girl, and she brought ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Megan, do you like it when somebody who's fired in that season comes back and then donates money? I mean, it just looks like they're definitely just going for that extra minute of airtime because, you know, they'll show themselves. Um, So it Mm -hmm. makes them look like a good person, like they're not bitter. Uh, You know, it's fine. No big deal. So it looks like the pendulum has swung all the way to Team Vince. But we check back in with Team Ricky. We have Boy George's manager coming in. And he drops off $80,000, which is just enough to harden Boy George's nipples, Mike. We got a lot of insight into Boy George's uh, bedroom life in this episode. 70K doesn't do it. Nope, it's at 80 to make them nice and sharp. Uh, somebody brings in a attache case with $41,000. <laughs> Who, Who was, was this? <laughs> I thought it was a bank robber or some sort of uh, renegade mobster that was rocking by C's candy and decided to spend a little bit of wayward cash. Yeah. And then we also heard that the uh, great Weed Maps also made a donation for $10,000. Weed Maps, Mike. So let's let's recap here. Uh, Weed Maps, uh, Hooters, Strip Clubs and Carrot Top are all among the deplorables that are giving money to the Celebrity Apprentice this season. Hey, uh, we don't like that kind of talk, Mike. That's very true. Uh, It's the oldest profession. 
Yes. I mean, it is a pretty sweet deal. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to get a commercial for 30 seconds during the Celebrity Apprentice. I would think it's probably to the tune of, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. But for 10 grand, Weed Maps, Megan, can get some national airtime that they so sorely need. And I had been using Apple Maps all these years. What have I been thinking? (laughs) No, that's that's not that's not what you want to use. Um, Also, going back to the team Vince, Vince's $100,000 guy finally came through. Megan, was there any mention of who this person was or what he does? I was trying to read the one guy's bowling shirt to see what the name was on it. But sometimes bowling names are like deceiving. I saw the word dollar on one of them. So I'm not really sure. I just assume he's like in the bail bonds business. And yeah, bail bonds. Yeah, at, at first I thought it was like the Pawn Stars guys or the Storage Wars guys because I kind of looked like it. I felt like I saw a guitar symbol on one of them. And I felt like yeah. that would make sense. Like a bunch of guitar, the guitar stores, like conglomerates came together, pooled their money to help out a rock star. That makes sense. <laughs> The guitar store lobby. Big guitar came together to bail out Vince Neil. Yep. Sam Ash rolled out of his grave and threw a couple of 100,000 to Vince Neil. Yeah. I don't know what those guys were, but they didn't say what they were from or what their company was. I don't know. It seems sketchy to me that they just didn't even say who they were. Maybe they're trying to take weed maps out of business and they don't want to say they're in stealth mode right now. They can't say what their company is. Wow. Who knew rival businesses of the weed maps and the guitar store megaliths? Yes. Uh, they were the guys from stripclubmaps.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then we go to the boardroom and uh, both teams uh, did very well. Once again, again, another close battle. Uh, but it comes up to that the team Arate raised $365,000. Team Prima raised $378,000. It all comes down to the palette of Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett loved the dark chocolate brittle, Mike. Yep. Winner is Prima. And much to your chagrin, Rob, Vince Neal gets $769,000 to his charity as a result. So the good people of Weed Maps, they don't even get to see their money go to where they thought it was going. It goes to a completely different charity. To be fair, they probably forgot about the money that they gave to probably like 20 <laughs> minutes later. Yeah, Mike, that's that is offensive comments. Again, Stop bullying the people from Weed Maps. Again, they might not remember that I made the comment about five seconds after this remark. <laughs> No, Mike, you're going to get a lot of hate mail. A lot of hate papers. I can roll them up. (laughs) All right. We get the uh, Ricky's team in the boardroom. This is still Arate, Megan? Uh, Yes, they are Arate still. And we find out Warren Buffett loves dark chocolate. Why didn't you know this? You didn't go on the Google. You didn't Google it. You didn't Yahoo. You didn't Bing. Did you not ask Jeeves? <laughs> and so uh, everybody knows this. Warren Buffett loves this dark chocolate. And so uh, we end up getting to that. John Lovitz uh, only raised $500. Uh, John, you're one of the top comedy actors in the country. Are you kidding me with this, Megan? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it was really disappointing. He's like, you know, all the producers, you know, all the actors, all the Hollywood people. And like he, he didn't Michaels. Get, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he didn't get any money. I have always wondered for the fundraising task. Can you just so let's say so I Googled it. They say John Lovitz has 12 million dollars. Let's say he has six. Um, if he gives some of that money to just like a random person, can they come and bet and, and donate it? Is that technically money laundering? <laughs> <laughs> um, it might be. Again, I don't know necessarily how it works where with these uh, charitable donations and what you can deduct. For, again, I, I am no Warren Buffett. So hypothetically, if John Lovitz was going to be paying a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes, could he take money from his own accounts that he would be paying anyway we need some sort of a uh, accounting correspondent on this show to maybe help us but for the most part what we've learned about the celebrity apprentice contestants if there's one through line it's that they all have tax trouble and so <laughs> they probably don't have a great understanding of the tax law anyway megan uh that may be true as well you're right you're right foolish am i yes I don't know who John Lovitz could have got to bring in this big check. It seemed like nobody was even taking his phone calls. So I don't know if necessarily uh, they would have been able to do it or if they have to make these phone calls on camera. It does seem like a lot of people are making calls on speakerphone, Mike. I don't know how anybody gets anything done with everybody calling people on speakerphone. I had thought the exact same thing when Carson's saying, like, we're all making phone calls. Could you just imagine the cacophony of noise of just people, five different people on speakerphone at once and nobody being able to hear each other? You might as well be FaceTiming with Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this works. I don't know if you just take your call and then at the point where the person says they're going to donate money, then you like grab the producer and then you put it on speakerphone to do it. And then they give their consent to be recorded on the show. I don't know exactly how it's going to go. Um, I felt like that Arnold Schwarzenegger was too hard on Ricky Williams in the boardroom, Megan. He, I, I think it's just because, you know, you always say secret to life is low expectations and Ricky gave himself too high of an expectation. There's been many, you know, project. He's lucky that he didn't go home because a lot of times with the fundraising task, if you're the project manager and you don't raise a lot of money, then you're the one that goes home. I mean, we've seen it. Andrew Dice Clay went home that way. Um, Natalie Gulbis went home that way. I think Tom Green went home that way, too. But he also was, I guess, giving uh Dennis Rodman alcohol beside the scenes. And then they had like a story about like a, a cat with allergies that he was lying about. So that had extra circumstances, <laughs> but the main part's the fundraising. Yeah. But I mean, Ricky Williams still raised over a hundred thousand dollars. It seemed like that there was this crazy narrative. Did you think by the place saying that you were going to raise 200 to $300,000 that then you had too much pressure on you by saying that that was such a big amount. Like that's the opposite of anything I've ever heard in my life <laughs> and this, about setting goals. Mike. And this again, segues into guess what? Another story of Arnold talking about, you know, it's not easy to raise money. Uh, I do things for Special Olympics, uh, underfunded schools, my political campaign. It's not easy when you get on the phone. So we got so close to not having Arnold Schwarzenegger mention himself, but uh, he just squeaked it in just in the nick of time. And I'm glad you brought up that clip because that brings us to this week's round of what the hell is Arnold <laughs> saying? Now, last week, uh, the mystery was solved by Ali Giancola, uh, one of the great listeners of the podcast, that she told us that last week when Arnold Schwarzenegger said this. 
Now, as you know, art has changed throughout the centuries, and through the days, technology is even changing faster. And I've seen this firsthand. I mean, the video that we released, I was Terminator. <laughs> so what Ali said, Arnold is saying, is with that video, they re-released I Was Terminator. So that helped clarify that. Uh, but this week, we're going back to the boardroom to play another round of What the Hell is Arnold Saying?, Let's listen to the clip. You maybe felt uncomfortable raising the money or calling people. I have been raising money my whole life. If it's for Special Olympics or for environmental causes or after school programs or inner city games or whatever it is, raising money in my political campaigns, raising money, raising money. And I feel always very uncomfortable calling someone says, can you send me a million dollars for my campaign? Okay. Can you send me a million dollars for what? for this campaign the one thing that i was confused of is that i didn't know if he said inner city gangs or inner city games i feel like those are two very different things for environmental causes or after school programs or inner city games or whatever it is raising money is it inner city gangs these kids need to play basketball yeah we have the bloods and these crips and they need the money they're underfunded they need to play trouble and pachisi <laughs> All right. Uh, should Layla have taken some responsibility, Megan, for making a candy that Warren Buffett didn't like? Uh, I mean, uh, she could have. Couldn't they have at least like said they looked it up and thought that he liked raspberry? Couldn't she at least have said like, oh, this is what I know about Warren Buffett? She could have made something up easily. I mean, there was really nobody else to toss under the bus. So she had to come along for the ride. But, uh, you know, it's OK. She she made it out of there alive. But she was so indignant about the candy. She's like, no, no, that this was a great candy. This had vanilla. It had chocolate. It had raspberry that I know everybody said this was a great candy. Well, you have to wonder if this is where the celebrity part of the moniker kind of comes in, where it's clear that Layla Ali and they all do kind of have egos where, you know, if you're questioned to make a wrong decision, she might not be so rash as to jump onto that. She will staunchly defend it, especially since we got this big rigmarole about how, you know, she's so involved in the culinary life and she's putting out a cookbook. So I think it would be pretty humiliating for her in the David Charvet type of manner to, you know, come onto national TV and essentially say like, hey, uh, you're a good cook, but we like this other team's better. But I, I don't think that necessarily it's like she's a bad cook. It could just be like, oh, well, I, I didn't know Warren Buffett liked cashews. You know, I think that you could sort of like, but any normal person would have liked this candy better. It's kind of like when I see people at like one of those frozen yogurt stores and they put like 11 different toppings on it. And it's like you're putting <laughs> teeth bars with gummy worms. Like I, what is what's what is happening with your palate right now? But they just get so slap happy with the with the flavors. I feel like that's what happened here. <laughs> so we end up with Ricky Williams and Layla and John Lovitz in the boardroom and so john lovitz i think really was missing a plan of attack in the mm -hmm. boardroom mike that he's given the opportunity to ask if layla should be fired for making the wrong flavor and he really doesn't have a compelling case yeah and actually doesn't layla kind of like goad him on to say like no 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 say that i should be fired and then she immediately fires back with saying like well i raised infinitely more money than you I mean, yeah. to me, it became pretty obvious that John was going to be fired. If he wasn't, this would be one of those textbook celebrity apprentice examples of, you know, if you're buddy-buddy with the host, then you tend to skate on by. But I feel like John would made 
such an egregious error in terms of fundraising that it really could not save him. Well, he started off making a case and he was like, okay, look at me. Look at me. I ate a lot of chocolate. Okay. And, and it seemed like he was about to say, like, I had her candy and it was terrible. Uh, but he's like, it was her candy was a million times better than the other thing. Okay. Then what is, then, then you have no case. The only case you had was that she made a bad candy and you completely undersold that. Yeah. This is like, again, I feel like the theme of this season is like, People lose for a particular reason. Then they go into the boardroom and say, like, well, I thought it was great. So I still don't understand why we lost. Like, just get it in your head that they didn't like it and then try to save face and throw other people under the bus. I completely agree that, you know, John could have gone off for Lila for that. He could have gone after Ricky by saying, like, you know, I'm surprised that John didn't mention it at all or, or mention more Ricky, you know, essentially showing bad leadership by just sending him away into exile in Nebraska. We ended up with John Lovitz getting fired, but after it was over, then we saw Arnold turn to Patrick and say, Ricky Williams, he was this close. I was going to go fire him. But why? Why? I don't understand why everybody's so down on Ricky Williams all of a sudden, Megan. I, I think because he set up those expectations. Although the one thing I I would have liked a little bit more in some of these is Arnold's move is to really talk up the person before he fires them. Like we have to hear their mini resume before he gets uh, terminated. And uh, I'd like to see a little bit more of like a quick, decisive action instead of a big buildup. Yeah, Arnold said, I love you to John Lovitz before <laughs> terminating him. Hey, but in fairness, Trump would do the same thing. And especially it was like the worse of a celebrity they were, the more he would talk up how great they are. Nadia Comaneci, you're a great gymnast. You're really just the bee's knees, but these knees are buckling now. You're fired. <laughs> All right. John Lovitz uh, is no more. Mike, could you give us the John Lovitz eulogy? So, what's, what's his best celebrity apprentice moment? Uh, I mean... There was, you know, all of his weird commercial ideas between the dog leaving with the hot woman last week for King's Hawaiian or his initial concept of Boy George's bad teeth promoting Trident. I mean, since he's such a creative person, it was fun to watch him be in those creative roles and constantly falter, uh, even though he ends up winning those challenges. And I think, you know, he was great in the confessionals as well. I still think Carson and Matt Eisman might be the best two confessionalists of the season, but... Lovitz understandably had some great one-liners in there too. So I'm so glad we got six episodes out of him because I was totally worrying he'd get like a George Takei type of thing and like, you know, be the total weak link and really not be into it at all. So he seemed reasonably into it, uh, much to his own chagrin considering his personality gripes with the rest of them. But I enjoyed his time on there significantly. Also, was this the first time we saw somebody uh, trying to resist basically their arrest and he was running around on the roof and he wouldn't get in the chopper? Because I would also like to nominate that as an underrated John Lovitz moment. I was not expecting that at all, where he was running around on the roof and they kept shoving him in there. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger did mention a little bit about his relationship with John Lovitz. I know that Ron from Toronto, another of our listeners, had been talking about a conspiracy theory that he felt like John Lovitz was going to be the winner. Megan, has this changed the way you're viewing the whole season that John Lovitz is gone? (laughs) No, not at all. It hasn't changed the way. I think that, you know, he went out firmly in the middle, which sounds about right for John Lovitz. He did a fine job while he was there, had a couple good moments, but now it's, it's time for him to go ride into the sunset. So next week, it looks like uh, things are really about to, business is about to pick up, Mike. Yeah, we're hitting our first real 
scandal of the season. Uh, it has no moniker, unlike uh, Tweetgate from last season, but it looks like the previews are indicating that Chael's in the center of it, which is really, you know, I think coming in, a lot of people were at least telling us, like, oh, yeah, Chael's son, and he's this big, almost like reality TV villain type. We've seen hints of it, uh, especially his, like, treatment of Ricky Williams in that one task, but nothing really. So if the previews are true and he's really involved in it, then it's going to be fantastic television. I mean, it seems like his team is show shocked and awed uh, and mouths agape that it seems like it's going to really be something outrageous. And on top of that, three people are going home, which makes me think, I feel like it's going to be three people over the, the two hours and not three people going home at one boardroom. It would seem odd if he really just got so mad. Of course, uh, Megan, we remember the what quadruple firing of 2005. Oh, from regular apprentice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was a quadruple firing. And then from celebrity apprentice, we did have a triple firing of Ian, Brandy and uh, Johnny for the Lacucaracha gate. If that can be, <laughs> if that can be the proper name for a scandal. And may I just say a fabulous name for a scandal. Crazy, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even truer. <laughs> and you could play that clip about so many different uh celebrity apprentice things yes especially might be crazy that that, that definitely holds up <laughs> all right so a lot to come next week on the celebrity apprentice uh, i don't want to get hopes up i don't want to be like ricky williams and over promise but i am hoping to track down the great chael to talk about his time on the celebrity apprentice at some point this season might be sooner might be later But uh, we're hoping to uh, be able to make that happen as he also has a podcast on Podcast One, as does Layla Ali. But uh, no word on uh, her wanting to come on and talk about Celebrity Apprentice. Can you please give him a Warren Buffett trivia contest on your podcast? (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) All right, Mike, I'll give you the heads up. All right. I'll put up the bloom symbol and then uh, you work on those Warren Buffett trivia questions. (laughs) I will very happily do that. Okay, Uh, we got some questions from the listeners. Uh, Edward Morris wants to know, do we need more tasteful nudes? Like your one in your basement of Brooke Burke? (laughs) Yeah, whatever happened to Brooke Burke, the the tasteful nudes of 20 years ago? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, what about those? What about those? I don't know if David Charvet is going to be okay with those, but uh, we can see. Sean Tucker wants to know, is Arnold just trying to roast the contestants now? Mike, what do you think of Arnold's attempts at comedy? I mean, they're none more stilted than Trump's attempts at comedy. Uh, <laughs> granted, Trump's might have been a little creepier considering, like, I remember, you know, him talking to Brandy, uh, Brandy Roderick about, like, you know, getting down on your knees with uh, with Brett. So that's like, those are weird types of things. But I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for Celebrity Apprentice hosts to you know, start making ribs at the contestants, especially those that have the more bombastic personalities. I mean, I don't really, you know, see him going after uh, Kyle Richards when she was on the show anytime. No, this is a guy whose Snapchat handle is Arnold Schnitzel. So he has a (laughs) sense of humor about himself. Yeah. Billy Gross wants to ask, does Arnold ever see the final products for the challenges for the second time? Two episodes. He seems not to know about details of the video or photos. First, he didn't know about Carson tackling someone last episode, and now he had to ask who was in drag for the photo shoot when it was obviously not one of them. Megan, do you think that Arnold is just playing coy in the boardroom? I think he knows what's going on. I think he, that otherwise there would be no nothing to talk about. He has to pretend like he, you know, leaves some mystery, asks some probing questions. It lets him lead the witnesses better. 
It was weird though that he asked who was the one in drag. Like, do you think they would have said like, "Oh, it was Vince Neil"? Uh, I don't know. If you, I don't know if you <laughs> noticed uh, the drag queen was the one in the tuxedo with the dog. <laughs> yes, you nailed it. Uh, and Ron from Toronto wants to know: potential spoiler alert is Carrot Top the Bye Bye Man? <laughs> well, you don't want to mention his name, so I guess that falls into both cases there. <laughs> yeah, don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. All right, what if the guy is Carrot Top? That he's the bye-bye man. You get him. He comes in with a big trunk full of stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Save it for the sequel, man. Save it for the sequel. Okay. What's the hashtag this week? Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. I'll throw out some. Uh, chaos, ca- chaos calves, uh, interjocostals, buffet heads. <laughs> Megan, what do you like? Um... I'm between Chaos Cavs and Buffet Heads. You can make the final call, Rob. <laughs> okay. Let's go with Buffet Heads because maybe uh, that could be a trending topic after everybody watches The Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, two Fs, two Ts on that one. Two Fs, Otherwise, two Ts. Otherwise, it's Buffet Head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Buffet Heads. All right. So the good times will roll uh, going into next week. Assuming that this show isn't canceled, Megan, what do you think the prospects are of a bounce in the ratings, the Buffett bounce? Uh, I think we're ready for another another dip. <laughs> another dip. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, I had mentioned on the show last week that on Sunday night, NBC was seemingly planning on airing Celebrity Apprentice on a Sunday night. But because of a change in the weather, NBC had to or and the NFL moved the Steelers Chiefs game to Sunday night, which actually bumped the Celebrity Apprentice from that Sunday night schedule, Mike. Yeah, I, who knows how if that impeded scheduling at all. I mean, we also said in the next time on that there are, in true Mad Men fashion, speaking of John Hamm, three episodes until the finale. Uh, so I don't know if that meant we were going to get a little extra episode or if things are now pushed back a week, but the, uh, the Steelers stealed away the time slot from Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, we'll see. I blame Ricky Williams. He's on thin ice with me. Okay. So uh, that'll do it. Anyway, uh, great job. Very fun episode tonight and uh, very fun, of course, to go through it with both of you. Uh, if you want to follow the great Megan Z on Twitter, she is at Meg wants to know. You still want to know or you've already found out, Megan? Oh, so many questions still left, especially the Celebrity <laughs> Apprentice. Yes. All right. And of course, Mike is on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. Mike, what are you working on this week? So our Top Chef podcast, spoiler alert for the episode. Uh, if you want to tune out for the next like 30 seconds. I mean, I want to just say what happened because it's one of the craziest episodes I've ever seen. Uh, we had a fan favorite, one of the most lovable contestants in the show's history go home halfway through. And someone actually pulled a Riken back slash a Brandon Hands. They had immunity, gave it up and went home. Uh, so my oh, wow. myself, Antonio, Kurt, and Haley Strong talk through it all. Uh, it was a really great podcast, so hopefully that should be dropping in your feed soon. Uh, the Hamster Factor, or as Rob calls it, a millennial and a Gen X talk about movies, <laughs> is happening. Uh, search for that on <laughs> iTunes. Uh, this week we're talking about the butterfly effect, and uh, I want to commit Harry Carey, uh, but I'm going to be talking about it with AJ Mass. It should be an interesting time. And I'll plug something that's not necessarily with me, but within the Bloom household, uh, my wife, Angela, is going to be talking about The Bachelor this week with Haley Strong over on oh. that podcast. Yeah. Boy, Mike, all of the wrap-up hosts, they all want to get Angela on these podcasts. Uh, much more popular than me, though that's happened <laughs> all of my life, so it is more of the same, and I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, speaking of the rehab ups, I did the first ever rehab up roundup. Megan, what did you think of that? Did you listen to that one? I did listen to that one. It was very funny. Um, I think my favorite part was Ellie Lasher's about Are You the One? Yes. So we talked about all the different shows on the rehab ups. Uh, that's in the podcast feed. Plus, I was uh, really happy with how these long form interviews I've done over the past week have turned out. I had David Wright here in the studio here with me last week. And then yesterday I posted my long form interview uh, with Adam Klein. And he has a really amazing story about uh, everything that's happened to him, certainly in and outside of the game. So I definitely recommend that you check those out as well. Of course, you can get them all when you subscribe to the podcast. Go to robhasthewebsite.com slash iTunes. A lot more to come this week, including our News AF. Plus, we're going to have a Brett LaBelle interview and much more. So make sure you catch all that. Plus, we'll be back next week with more Celebrity Apprentice. Until then, looking forward to hearing what you have to say in the comments. Take care, everybody. 